When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day and over there on the other side of Zoom, looking slightly shifty because he knows that I know he's been doing other pods this week, is football finance expert at Liverpool University, Kieran Maguire. Hello Kieran, how are you? I'm okay-ish, Kevin. Car's in for its MOT today and um, I've had a couple of depressing calls to date. About the car? Yes. Yes. Do you know what? I generally hope the Baroness isn't listening to this. I've I've never heard you show such concern for either her or the dog. (laughs) It's the first time I've heard you gloomy. I was about to tease you for doing other pods, but now you're in that sort of mood, I don't think I can. Uh, I only know that you were doing other pods, by the way, because I saw a tweet from our producer telling somebody that he was sure I did know that you were at it again, which is... <laughs> yeah, the, the Baroness says similar. Yeah. <laughs> I also have a note. She's not in for her MOT as well, is she? <laughs> no. I also have a note from our producer, by the way, and you know how much we like our producer, but the note says, don't forget to mention that football was back last night and maybe give general reaction to the games. But I'm, g- I'm going to go for the honest approach, Kieran, cause, because football's back tonight. Really, it's, it is. We're, we're actually we're actually recording we're actually recording this a bit earlier than normal, so we can finish by six o'clock, so we can watch Villa play Sheffield United in an empty stadium. And that's not a sentence I'd, I'd ever say out loud, but um, <laughs> uh, we we could pretend it was, it was last night and the games were great. But you know, uh, I, I'm really I'm actually just really genuinely excited. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yes, yeah, it, it's it, it's something to focus on. Uh, yeah, the Bundesliga has been okay. Uh, you can have a, a moderate uh, emotional investment if, if you so desire, but it, it's not the same as uh, as, as English football. Uh, yeah, and we're, yeah, raring to go. Yeah, come, come Although, on the blades. I, I did get quite. I wouldn't say emotional, but uh, my German team are only in Berlin, and they stayed up last night, which is a remarkable achievement. Anyway, it's it's Thursday. Um, well, it is now. Let's not get involved too much in. What day of the week it actually is? Were they great games last night though? Both four all draws. Well done, Villa. Um, now, first first day is our news story day, obviously. So um, we've got some interesting stories, but let's start, Kieran. I think with one of the best football stories uh, for many a long while, and it, it, it is financially based. And that's uh, that's a round of applause for the extraordinary efforts of Marcus Rashford this week. Uh, very much so, and, and I don't care which club you support. And you know, even my my city supporting mates uh, back in Manchester, uh, they've said what, what a fantastic effort. Uh, first of all, he raised twenty million pounds for fair share. 
uh, which is uh, yeah, which is providing meals for kids who are, who are going through troubles. And uh, yeah, that was an amazing achievement to to get people involved, to get the support. Um, and, and then he managed to get the government to do a U-turn mm. um, simply through through being polite, being firm and being honest uh, in, in highlighting um, some of the struggles that, that young that families will be going through this summer uh, because you know we, we are going through not only a, a pandemic but uh, you know there are people who are genuinely uh, dependent upon school meals uh, you know my uh, the baroness is uh, is an ex school head uh, and she used to tell me the tales of, of you know those kids who were in need of help who she genuinely feared for when, when the schools weren't able to provide that degree of solace. Um, for for kids, so he's he's done an amazing achievement, um, and, and everybody within football, you know, should be high fiving him and, and saying, "Well done!" Uh, you know, it, it shows that footballers are far beyond the way that they are portrayed too often, um, conveniently in, in some sections of the media. Well, that's why I was so pleased to talk about it because it has been one of the subtexts of our pod from the start that that we know of footballers that, that both with and without publicity are absolutely doing their bit. As and and they they might not be eat and educated because they've been playing football from a very young age, but they're intelligent people and they have a social conscience. And every time somebody says, "Oh, footballers, uh, idiots who earn too much money," we could just use Marcus Rashford as an example of the many many players who are doing more than that. And what what was extraordinary was that he completely outflanked the government, who because he understood the use of social media far more than they did. They just for a start, they should have looked at how many followers he's got and, and thought we can't compete with this. They should look at the the background he's from and that. And just think we need to take him seriously because the thing that most pleased is not the right word, but when he talked himself about having to rely on food banks when he was a kid, that will help remove the stigma for tens of thousands of kids who 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 are ashamed of the fact that their families have to rely on food banks when they shouldn't be. So the mere fact that he talks about that out loud um, is wonderful, and also the fact that you know he's got other players involved, and now he's looking to to see how else he can improve the lot. Of, of young working class people. And that's brilliant. And, and I, I think the campaign needs to start now that there is a sports personality of the year. Marcus Rashford should be very close to winning it. So I think everyone in football is very proud of what he's achieved. Um, so uh, less good news stories, uh, Kieran. There's, again, this is one of those things I'm starting to sound like a parrot. We're saying this every week on every pod. More pressure on the Saudi takeover of Newcastle United. Yes, um, the the Premier League has yet to sign off on the deal in terms of the owners and directors test in, in respect of the uh, the PIF, the the people who are bidding to acquire eighty percent of Newcastle United. And I think part of the the reason for that is that they were awaiting the outcome of the WTO report, the World Trade Organization, um, into um, piracy. Um, of uh, intellectual property rights in the form of broadcasting. Um, and, and that report came out uh, earlier this week, uh, and it did point the finger quite clearly um, at the Saudi authorities uh, in, in respect of this this pirate station called Be Out Q, which is you know, quite clearly um, directed at Bayin, who are the uh, Qatari um, broadcast organization who have the rights for the likes of Formula One, but most importantly, from our perspective, um, for uh, for the Premier League rights. So you can't have a, a Bayin uh, satellite subscription in Saudi because there is uh, a dispute, a ge- 
geopolitical dispute taking place in the Middle East uh, between Saudi and Qatar. Um, so it, it wasn't particularly um, positive for, from, the, from the Saudis' perspective. Um, but if you were a Newcastle fan and you're, and you're looking for um, good news, there was no direct reference to Newcastle United or the, the PIF itself. Um, so, you know, can you say that one individual organization is representative of a state? You know, it, it, it all starts to get a little bit murky here. And then this morning, uh, a new offer potentially came in from an American um, uh, broadcaster called Henry Maurice. Um, and that was for £350 million. And that trumped the uh, the £300 million that, had, that had apparently been agreed with with uh, with PIF. Well, I mean, that's interesting. It, it, you'd imagine, though, that the Saudis would be able to keep raising the, the bid uh, more often than Henry Maurice can do. Surely they're more wealthy than, than he is. And, and would would that automatically... I mean, does it, does the highest bidder get the club, no matter, regardless of other circumstances? Would, is that part of any previously agreed deal? Well, I, I did contact a lawyer this morning, and they gave me a traditional answer, which was, it depends. Um <laughs> So um, th- there has been a £15 million deposit paid by PIF. Uh, it looks as if contracts have been exchanged. So, so that would indicate that if somebody else comes in with a better bid, um, there could be penalties paid by Mike Ashley. Um, uh, certainly the, the, the PIF would be able to get their legal costs back in all probability. So it puts the uh, it, it puts it gives us a, a further dilemma. Uh, you know, Mike Ashley clearly wants to maximise his return. Um, the, the Premier League have tried to uh, put pressure on the Saudi authorities in respect of uh, be out cube. Every time they've done that, um, when they've approached a law firm here in the UK, the law firms have claimed, "Oh, we're too busy." Um, we, we can't take on that particular project, uh, which is probably linked to the fact that they have themselves have offices in the Middle East and, and they, they, they stand to lose more financially than they would gain by taking on this particular case. Yeah, well, I don't think many people would fancy taking on the Saudi government in many things, unfortunately. That, um, I mean, from the, from the Premier League's point of view, I should think they'd be highly delighted if the Saudi government didn't take over Newcastle United or... Essentially, it is a Saudi government because it, it means that they avoid a lot of awkward human rights questions, don't they, for as long as the, the Saudis own the club. How much did Mike Ashley buy the club for in the first place? He bought it for around about 140 million. He, he's lent, um, he's lent over 100 million on top of that. So, so he is looking to make a profit uh, in respect of his uh, his decade of joy um, at the club. But uh, yeah, he won't he won't be making huge amounts. It, it it wouldn't be the same position as say the Glazers should they chose to should they choose to sell Manchester United or FSG if they decided to sell Liverpool, who could make a a multiple of their original purchase price. Uh, and just for those listeners who are still slightly confused, uh, and in fact for the one presenter who's still slightly confused about the piracy charges, essentially the, the, the group that are taking over Newcastle have been accused of, in a, in a giant way, using somebody else's Wi-Fi, haven't they? So basically the, the Qatari group owned the rights to Premier League football in the Middle East, uh, but the Saudis are accused of showing it without without being allowed to, basically, without having paid for it. Is that right? 
That, that's right, and and I think uh, the the uh, the Saudis originally claimed that it was a Colombian company who were behind uh, B Out Q. Um, the, the B Out Q was being broadcast via a satellite, which was owned by the Saudi authorities. Although I believe that's no longer the case. Um, so it's 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 very murky, um, as as we tend to find on these stories. Um, if if the uh, if the American owner does come in and and is successful in acquiring. Um, the, uh, the the rights to own Newcastle United, that still doesn't get rid of, of course, the problem of um, Bayout Q itself. So uh, you know, the, the Premier League would like to tie up all the loose ends and, and this new owner, uh, whilst it could be additional money for Mike Ashley, isn't going to solve that particular issue. Uh, and now forgive me for not remembering her name as I, I've been so excited about football coming back. I didn't research this properly. The the woman who was brokering the deal, for want of a better word, uh, to Newcastle, for Newcastle with the Saudis, what was her name? Uh, War Amanda Staveley is her name. Amanda Staveley. And um, she, she was planning to own 10% of the company. My understanding is that, uh, that she was going to be um, sort of a board member of the club and would act as sort of as an intermediary between the, the Saudi interests and sort of the day-to-day operations of the club. And the other 10% was going to be owned by the Rubin brothers, who are uh, certainly in, in the top very few uh, richest people in the country. And I think they were planning for uh, one of their sons to go on on the board of Newcastle as well. So as usual, there's there's a lot more to this than meets the eye. Right, so Amanda Staveley is again. I just want to get a proper handle on this. Amanda Staveley was was representing the potential Saudi takeover rather than helping Mike Ashley sell the club to the Saudis. Is that right? That, that's right. I mean, she, she has been trying for three years to persuade Mike Ashley to sell. Um, she herself um, was planning to buy ten percent of the company. Um, and then effectively bring herself on board. Now, whether she was looking for an exit route in in a few years, uh, and, and initially her role was to sort of steady the ship, we're, we're not quite sure. Um, she's also got a, an outstanding legal dispute, which I don't know whether people have been monitoring this with, with Barclays Bank, um, because she introduced them to the Qatari government uh, over a decade ago when we had the uh, the economic crash. Uh, and I think she's looking for compensation from Barclays in excess of a billion pounds. Yeah, I think it's safe to say, Kieran, that we've all been monitoring the Amanda Staveley Barclays Bank situation in the last in the last ten years. I'm amazed you've got time to do that what, with the spreadsheets and all. Now you've got some potential news for Wigan Athletic fans. Well, yes, it, this is this is all very strange. Wigan appears to have changed ownership. Um, when uh, the, the originally uh, Wigan was owned by Dave Whelan, you know, who yeah. we associate him with, uh, with of course being an ex-player himself. Well, um, he, broke, he was uh, broke his leg he, in the he, FA Cup final, you know, as as he is is, is inclined to remind people. Yes, indeed. Um, on on once one or two occasions, that's right. Um, so yeah, he he was very much a football man. He owned JJB Sports, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and, and he decided to sell. So he sold in November 2018 to a company called IEC, um, which was based in Hong Kong. Uh, and IEC is owned by a, a Dr. Stanley. Uh, and then Dr. Stanley said within a few months, um, I'm going to sell um, Wigan because it, it's, it's, uh, it's not managed to get into the Premier League in the first season I owned it. 
Uh, it's been underperforming. And, and then he started to blame blame it, blame it the sale on Brexit, which, which seems a bit strange given that, that Brexit took place in 2016 and he bought the company in 2018. You know, if, if Brexit was going to be an issue in terms of impacting upon the finances of, of Wigan, um, why buy it two years after the event? Yeah. Um, so he's he's now appears to have sold it to a company called the Next Leader Fund, which uh, which I believe has connections with the Cayman Islands. Um, but fifty one percent, I think, of the Next Leader Fund is owned by Doctor Stanley. Oh, so he's he's sold it to himself, or sold you know part of it to himself, which seems very strange. Um, he was lending money; he was lending around about twenty four million pounds to uh, Wigan through IEC interest-free, but it looks as if the next leader fund is going to be charging interest at 8% on that £24 million. So you know, if you put your sum, do your sums there, that's, that's close on £2 million a year in interest. Mm. But if Wigan default on any of the loan, that interest rate goes up to 20%. Okay. Um, so it, it's, it's murky once again, sadly. Yeah, that, that is murky. This one we'll keep an eye on. I, I think, to be fair to Dr. Stanley, Mrs. Day blames Brexit on everything, basically. So he's not the only one. But that that's uh, just in business terms, is that common for somebody to sell something to themselves? Is that a standard business practice? Um, it, it, it can be for tax reasons, certainly once you get the Cayman Islands involved. Um, it, but you know, I can't see who are the beneficiaries. Certainly, I can't see how Wigan are a beneficiary of this if they're now going to be committed to paying two million pounds a year in interest. Uh, you know, that's that's a sizable chunk of their their overall income. You know, it's, it's around about ten percent of what they'd expect to earn as a, as a club in the Championship. Um, so that that would be quite severe. Well, also, if you've got to find that much money to pay that much interest, it makes it more likely to default, and therefore you have to find even more money to pay even more interest. So it's certainly not in Wigan's interest, is it, at all? No, no. And and you look at Wigan, you know, I mean, I can remember going to Springfield, uh, I think it was Springfield Park, Springfield the old Park, stadium. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I remember going there in, in the in the old fourth division to watch uh, to watch matches uh, as, as an away fan. And, and clearly, you know, the new stadium is, is impressive as well. Uh, you know, they've got property. I think that the, the, the football club owns... Owns you know a few assets, so it is it is worth something. Um, but uh, yeah, there, there is a cause for concern, which is a shame because it, it is a proper romantic story when you see the size of the club that Wigan were, and then you see you know Dave Whelan who loved the club very much. He won them the FA Cup. I mean, it's an astonishing rise, um, and it's such a friendly club as well. I mean, I've, the, the best pie I've ever tasted was was it. At Wigan, I, I, Dave Whelan kept going on about the pies. Of how good can a pie can be? Oh my God! I could. Oh, it's, it had meat in it. That's how good it was. Actual, <laughs> actual meat. And it was fantastic. Um, uh, again, this is a sentence. Birmingham City have been floating around the, the never regions, for want of a better word, of this pod for quite some time. They've been found guilty of misconduct, but not punished. Can you put some meat on those bones for us? Yeah, um, as as people may be aware, Birmingham uh, suffered a nine point deduction in 2018-19 from the EFL for breaches of financial fair play. Um, but in, in the small print of the judgment, um, they were also given a business plan that they were supposed to adhere to. And part of that business plan was that they were given financial targets. 
Now, other clubs, I think, were aware of this. So therefore, they knew that, that Birmingham had to generate money through selling players. Now, if, if you know that somebody has to sell, then you come in with low offers. Um, so in the in the January 2019 um, transfer window, uh, their their main striker that season, Che Adams, he'd, he'd been knocking him in for fun. Mm. Um, that they'd been looking to get 15 million pounds for him, and I think the highest offer they got was from from uh, one or two clubs was around about eight million because these clubs knew that Birmingham had to adhere to the the business plan, and therefore they were being sort of quasi forced to sell. Um, so Birmingham has simply turned around and said, well, we're not going to do that. Uh, and and they, they didn't effectively comply with the business plan. They ended up selling Che Adams six months later in the, in the summer 2019 window to Southampton for 15 million. So they got twice as much money. And on the back of that, the EFL says, well, we're going to charge you for failure to adhere to the business plan. Um, initially, um, that hearing was held in March and, and Birmingham were found not guilty of the charges. So it all seemed tickety-boo. But the EFL then appealed against their, their initial um, case and, and it went to a, a effectively a retrial where where guilt where where Birmingham were found guilty, but the tribunal says, "Yeah, we're going to find you guilty, but we're not going to give you any punishment," which which does seem to be very strange. And, and the only winners here um, are, of course, our our friends with silver tongues because they've got double dibs. So, does that tribunal decision count as a rebuke to the football league then for for not letting the case drop in the first place? Well, it, it, it's one of those strange things you often, you know, you, you, I've heard of sort of libel cases in the past where, where somebody's been found guilty of libel and, and, the, and the judges decided that there'll be a, a one pound penalty yeah, yeah. Um, and things of that nature. So it, I don't know. It, it's, it, it does seem that at, at a time when we should be focusing on the survival of football clubs, why, why are the authorities uh, in, instead getting involved in, in spats with clubs? Birmingham were found not guilty initially. Why yeah. not just let it rest? Yeah, uh, you can understand those Birmingham fans with a conspiracy theory that think the EFL was out to get them. And also, we've talked on this pod several times about potentially bigger charges against Birmingham. And it, it seems that in that context, this is a this is like going after Al Capone for tax reform issues, isn't it, basically? Because um, it's not following a business plan seems to me a relatively, I mean, because we've all, you know, I say we all, you haven't, but, you know, in the past, the banks have suggested to me that if I want this money, I should perhaps sign this document that says I'm not allowed to have the account number, of, which is, I'm, I'm afraid, true. But, you know, so, but, and, that, and that's fine. I, I realise I'm an idiot with money, but this is, this. it seems to me on the great scheme of things, this is not the worst thing that a football club can do failing to follow a business plan, especially as you say, when it, it some of it overlaps with the start of the, this, this crisis. Yeah. It, it's a, it's an unusual approach to take, especially as they were found innocent it's, to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Now this, um, you predicted this next story would happen. Only you, you said probably more players would do it. Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth uh, is refusing uh, a contract extension, I believe, is for the remainder of the season. Is that right, or a new contract? Can so it, it, tell us why you predicted that this would happen and why Ryan Fraser is doing it. Um, well, well, my my concern was that if if you're familiar with with football contracts, they traditionally expire um, in the Premier League and and for most EFL clubs on the 30th of June. Now, by extending the contract beyond that date, um, you've got players who are 
in in sort of in limbo. Um, so there there are players at other clubs, David Silva at Manchester City, Adam Lallana, Liverpool, William and Pedro at Chelsea. They've all got contracts who are expiring at this date, um, but they're all slightly older. Um, Ryan Fraser is is 26 and, and his contract expires at Bournemouth um, on the 30th of June. Um, I, I think he, he rejected their offers. Um, certainly Arsenal and Spurs have been said to be interested in him. Um, and, and then he, he didn't want a, a long-term contract. Bournemouth offered him a 30-day contract or 31-day contract for July. And uh, today it's been confirmed that he's uh, he's declined that as well, mm. um, which which means that if you are a Bournemouth fan or if, you, if you're Eddie Howe, you've got one less player for your squad um, for some of those final games. Um, which, which makes things difficult. And, and we, we spoke about this um, a few weeks ago in, in respect of Charlton. Um, Lyle Taylor at Charlton, he's rejected um, a, a final contract, which will have implications for, for Charlton's uh, relegation fight. The same here for Ryan Fraser. Um, and, and if we start to use, and, and I don't like these cliches, integrity of the game and the football mm. family will be disappointed in them and so on. Um, you know, Ryan Fraser is, is at the age where, again, at 26, he potentially could be earning far more money at a bigger club should they come in uh, on a four or five year contract. And, and also when you are moving on a Bosman, um, you, you're going to get pick up more money um, as a rule anyway um, in the Premier League because the, the buying club doesn't have to pay uh, a transfer fee. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today in Notion? You do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football, and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yeah, and of course he would argue that you know he signed a thirty-day contract. He gets injured on the second day of that extension, and he doesn't move for another year or so. But um, he's eligible, I think, for the for two games. So of course he'll score against Palace on Saturday. That's a given. But I think isn't there a complicating factor here as well that if if he signs a new contract, an actual contract, they have Bournemouth have to pay Aberdeen some money. Um, I know that he he's been at uh, he he's been with. 
Bournemouth of seven years, and, right. and you know, paradoxically, he moved to uh, he moved from Aberdeen because he'd rejected a contract in December right, okay. 2012. Um, he was due his contract was due to expire six months later. So, so Bournemouth paid him three hundred paid three hundred grand for him. Um, but we're seeing similar issues here now arising with uh, Timo Werner. In, uh, in in the in the Bundesliga, so he's playing for RB Leipzig. Um, I think he's got around about a, a fifty-four million pound um, release clause on his contract. So he he signed a five-year contract last year. Um, Chelsea are apparently going to pay that release clause. And um, whilst he said I'm I'm willing to pay for the re- play for the remaining games in the Bundesliga, the Bundesliga finishes on the 27th of June. Yeah. Now RB Leipzig are still in European competition; they're still in the Champions League, but those matches are unlikely to take place until August. Um, by which time he could have signed a contract with Chelsea. He's on around about four and a half million pounds a year um, at RB Leipzig. At Chelsea, he'll be close on doubling that. So, yeah, again, from his point of view, you know, life-changing amounts of money are involved, um, and and even for sort of July and August, you know, he would he would be on double money at Chelsea. He'd be foregoing that, and of course, there's the risk of injury. Well, actually, now you've <clears throat> now you've raised the European things. I don't think we've actually spoken about this properly that because there, there is talk now from UEFA that the the Champions League might be completed as a kind of the eight team mini tournament. Um, Taking place over a week in two stadiums, isn't that right? That's that's right. I think I think they're aiming to play it in Lisbon because there are two two big stadia there, um, and so it would become sort of a you know a, a bit like the 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 Watney's Cup. We we can remember that, or the Texaco Cup from from days gone by, uh, except with slightly more interest in the games. Yeah, the the Watney's Cup was for the te- the high scoring teams that didn't win each each. I remember Halifax beating Man United, I think. So it's two teams from each division played in the pre-season tournament, didn't they? That's Te- right. The Texaco Cup, I'm going to have funny. We were talking about the Anglo-Italian Cup last night uh, in a sort of middle-aged way. Um, the only reason, to be honest, I mentioned Aberdeen in the Ryan Fraser context is, is to make this a more elegant link, but I've ruined it by talking about the European trophies in between time. But Because you can't keep Scottish clubs away from this pod. I think Scottish football fans would love it if we could go a week or two without having to talk about them. But again, this is something that you predicted... Kieran, um, Hearts have started a legal challenge against their relegation from the Scottish Premiership. Do you think this is going to be the first of many legal challenges against um, decisions made by leagues recently in the UK? And what do you think their chances are of winning it? Well, yeah, they, they certainly are, are hinting um, at, at doing this. Um, and our, our guest on the show last week, Mark Palios, I think he's looking at his legal options with regards to um, Tranmere being evicted uh, rather than relegated yeah, from yeah, League yeah, One. Yeah. Um, now, th- there has also been a legal case taking place um, in respect of South Shields, who are in the Northern Prem. Um, so I, I read the 24-page document. I knew you were otherwise engaged. Yeah, yeah um, I had a nap booked in for that hour, yeah. Yes. Um, so, so South Shields, um, they've got they've got a 12-point lead in the Northern Prem. I mean, that they have played one more game than FC United or Manchester, but you know, given where we are in the season, I think they were had a very good chance of, of going up. 
um, and and the the judgment really didn't go in the, in their favour because effectively um, that the football association has null and voided all the leagues, and they said, well, we feel we should have gone up. So um, yeah, that's one particular ruling which has gone in 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 respect of the football authorities. Um, I think Hearts and and Tranmere are in a slightly different position. Um, because here um, relegation and uh, relegation is being forced through, which is inconsistent with what we're seeing happen south of the border. Um, so it, it's it's very messy. Um, I, I was I was looking at comments from one of the um, one of the members of the SPL board, uh, a guy called Les Great. Was was Les Great? Was didn't he used to be the lead singer in Mud? Uh, yes, he was. Yeah, who were just from just down the road from here, the Mitchum's finest Mud. Yeah, I was a huge yeah. Mud fan when I was a kid. Really? Um, oh, there you go. That's something else we don't have in common. <laughs> you're, right. just fly, you're just as flighty with your musical taste as you are with your football teams. Crikey, come on then. Carry on. Well, no, when mid-70s, but yeah, before punk, you had to like something. That's true. Yeah, I was more of a yes man. I was, yeah, I was a, uh, yeah, it's a terrible admission. I used to like yes. hated oh, Genesis. Right, I, okay. loved I couldn't stand Genesis, but yes, I quite liked them. Pretentious little thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, football, finance, carry on. Oh, football, finance, yes. <laughs> um, so so Hearts are pressing for a 14-club um, Scottish Premiership, which would, of course, mean that they, they wouldn't be relegated on that basis. Yeah. Um, you know, that has been rejected initially uh, because, you know, how are you going to split the money between 14 clubs instead of 12? It means that everybody in that division will be slightly worse off uh, from a monetary uh, split perspective. So, so you know, it, it's it's going to rumble um, um, these these particular legal challenges, and uh, who's got the who's got the best lawyers will win. Yeah, we, we we're going to try and get Ambudge, uh, the the boss, the chief of Hearts, uh, on the phone for an interview if we possibly can, or somebody from Hearts to put their side of the story. Both you and I know a couple of uh, sports lawyers. A very good friend of mine is a, a sports lawyer. He's all right when he's not being a lawyer. He's a nice fella. Um, but we know from from being told by sports law, judges are notoriously reluctant to to basically to rule against the the ruling body of any sport because they see it as if you're if you're a member of a club, you have to abide by the rules of that club, and you you can't simply throw your toys out of the pram if the rules of that club go against you in a situation like this, no matter how much it affects you. So, I think every football fan understands why Hearts are doing this. Hearts fans certainly will, but. It, it, experience tells us that they've got a job on their hands, really, haven't they? It, it will, it will, it will be a challenge, um, but uh, yeah, they, 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 they must consider their options. You know, no, I can understand them not wanting to be relegated um, or demoted, however, we, however we want to describe it, and also, of course, you know, their fans want to see them play against the best teams in Scotland next season. Yeah. Now, our final news story, because um, it turns out, remember the old days when our news pod. Uh, was much longer than our letters uh, questions pod. And now the questions are so good and so detailed. The questions pod goes on for a, quite some time and we fly through the news pod. But Southend United's players have rejected the club's request to join the government's furlough scheme. I, I'm slightly confused about this, Kieran, as basically why they're not on it already. I, I assume that every club in League One and Two had furloughed their, their players purely out of financial necessity. Well, um, I, I think under the the furlough scheme, the the employee has to agree um, to to the terms. Right. Okay. So what what's what's happened at Southend is that their six highest earners were put on furlough in April 
But at the time, the club agreed to top up their wages. So under the furlough scheme, um, you get the government paying 80% of your first £2,500 a month. Now, it is then at the discretion of the employer as to whether they put in A, the first, the, the extra 20%, and B, top you up to your standard wage. Yeah. Um, now, what's happened with South with South End is that their owner has said, I'll put you on the furlough scheme, but I'm only going to pay you, I think, the, the 80% of the two and a half grand a month. Right. Um, so therefore, the players would have been uh, financially worse off. Um, so that they're not happy about that, and therefore they've declined to go on the furlough scheme. Um, and, and part of the reason for this is that um, South End have failed to pay wages on time um, during this season on a couple of occasions pre-COVID. Right. So there's, I think there's a, there's a there's a breakdown of trust between the owner um, in in true South End Essex style. His name's Ron, um, and he's also involved at present with. Uh, with selling Roots Hall um, and, and trying to move to uh, a, a new uh, a new development, which contains a loads of houses as well. Now, now whether that will go ahead in, in the COVID world, um, we're not so sure. Um, but you know, uh, I, I've been to Roots Hall again as an away fan. You know, it's yeah, fairly central in town. Yeah. I, I think the, the the alternative Fawcett's Farm is slightly more uh, away from the the centre of the city or cent- cent- yeah, the centre of the the place. So it you know, it'll be cheaper cheaper to buy in, t- in terms of being a football ground. Yeah, Roots Hall is one of my um, favourite away grounds. Actually, and it's uh, uh, it's it's one of those indications I, uh, how football humour doesn't really work when you're telling your wife about it eight hours later after you've had a lot of drink. Uh, where we got chatting to a South End, it was an it was an evening kickoff, so of course we got there for about two o'clock in the afternoon. We've been in the pub, and this South End fan got chatting to us. He said, "Yeah, we, they call our ground Roots Hall, but we've won nothing, so they should call it Fuck All." Which, which obviously we thought was the funniest thing I'd ever heard. I generally couldn't wait to get home that night and wake Mrs. Day up and say, and then he said, yeah. Um, this is this is an interesting, just for some of our many overseas listeners who may not be fully aware of the furlough scheme here, the government will pay 80% of uh, employees' wages, but the, the £2,500 you mentioned is the, the upper limit of how much they would pay. So if you if a player's earning £10,000 a week, £2,500 is the limit, or £2,500 a month is the, the most the government will pay, isn't it? That's right. I think it's 80% of that. Right. And so what are the implications of this decision for the club then? Well, if it uh, if the players decline to go on the, um, on, on the furlough scheme, um, presumably they can walk away if the, if the club doesn't pay them. Right, okay, I see, okay. Um, and, and my understanding is that the highest paid players are probably on around about £14,000 a month. So, so yeah, clearly there is a significant difference um, if, uh, if, if there is going to be a, a shortfall. Um, some players will be perhaps more accommodating because they're, they're more concerned about having some form of contract next yeah. season. But if, if you've got talented players who, who could command a fee in the transfer market, mm. um, if Southend are in breach of contract, normally I think it's two months consecutively for not paying wages, that's normally grounds for being able to walk away from a club um, on uh, on a Bosman. 
Okay, thanks for that, Kieran. Now, I'm just going to do for this last bit, we're doing a, another shout-out, Kieran. You know how pleased I am about doing these, but I'm, I'm basically asking for money, so I'm going to copy my cat and put on the big sad eyes uh, and just say, if, you, if you'd like to support The Price of Football, and I do mean financially, you can do so by visiting supporter.acast.com forward slash price of football. Uh, I'd just like saying forward slash price of football, to be honest, because I've got the sense of humour of a 15-year-old boy. Or, or you can just click the link if you're listening in the Acast app. And I'd like to say hello and thank you to some of you who have already done so, including John, who says, great podcast, best one out there. Thank you. Um, Ruffin Roy. Uh, Roy, I miss you, Sean. Uh, Roy says, essential listening, love the facts and the humour from the K-Twins. Now, uh, those Welsh listeners, uh, my wife speaks a little bit of Welsh, but technically it's Rithin. It's not pronounced Ruthin, it's pronounced Rithin. But Roy moved there with his Welsh wife a, a few months ago. Uh, and Rithin is just not as funny as Ruthin. When you're when you're talking about your mate in a South London pub and and, him, and his wife, you have to say Ruthin in the same way that traditionally... Carefully and Prestatin are just hilarious when you're talking about Welsh people having sex. Carefully, <laughs> Prestatin, Rutten. Uh, I knew that would make you laugh. I'm amazed you've not heard it before. Uh, thanks for that, Roy. Um, really, Jenny, we, uh, I was on the common with the House Boys a couple of days ago. We were talking about your son, so uh, love you very much. Uh, John King, thank you for your donation and your, your lovely uh, words. Must listen. Uh, Parky, uh, good old, I don't think it's that Parky, but Parky's now considering going on Mastermind with FFP as his specialist subject. Um, Clarkovich has been enjoying the recent interviews. Yeah, do you know what, Clarkovich? I've been enjoying listening to them too. Um, Danny Crow, uh, he, and he, basically Danny Crow's a, another Hearts fan who wants us to get Ambudge or possibly the foundation of Hearts on to talk about Hearts Football Club. Paul D says, great pod, occasionally annoying, but always fascinating and informative. That's the sort of, that's the sort of praise I like. Occasionally annoying. I, I think we set out to be occasionally annoying, don't we? Um, and somebody called Kevin's Cat, I like, and it's, <laughs> As as just said, free the pod, which is a reference that only Palace fans will get. Um, we're back on Monday with our questions pod. And, of course, if you have questions for us, uh, and boy, do you have questions for us, uh, please get in contact with us, questions at priceoffootball.com. Until then, Kieran, it's just about it's about 10 minutes till kickoff time. So I think it's time to get – well, not for you. you I don't know. How do you watch football with not have a drink in you? Just – Tea's not. You can't watch football having a cup of. How do you do that? I don't, don't drink tea either. So oh, I forgot that. No, it's just, I've just got my water bottle. It's just got your special crystal water bottle. I've, I've got my suspicions about what's in that special crystal water bottle of yours, especially that little bit of mist that comes off when you open the. But um, hopefully, it's not too long before I see the crystal water bottle in person and you, of course. Um, and we'll be back uh, on Monday with another pod. Until then, enjoy the football. I hope your team wins, unless you're a Bournemouth fan. Have a good weekend. Cheerio, folks. The price of football. I'm for the